Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of the F1 Show for coverage of the 2010 Australian Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner, and I am the only one here. That's right, Jim Lau is off somewhere doing something exciting with the V-Boxes, um, living the dream. So it is just me today, but that's okay. We have a full show for you still. We're going to do the best we can we're going to talk about what's happened since the Bahrain Grand Prix. We're going to talk about practice, qualifying, and the race. We're going to talk about Button's strategy for success. We're going to talk about Red Bull's reliability and the excitement of the Australian Grand Prix. And, of course, trivia, predictions, and listener feedback. Okay, since the last time we left you, not nearly as much has gone on uh, as opposed to the off season where everything had happened and we had so much to talk about. Uh, but some... A couple of new things happened um, that is worth talking about. First of all, uh, Sauber, in just one race's time, in two weeks, has managed to find a way to mimic McLaren's controversial snorkel uh, to get around the fact that they'd have to redesign the tub by drilling a hole in it. Sauber just uh, put their little inlet for the snorkel on the side pod of the car as opposed to the nose of the car. And uh, how effective theirs is and whether they're going to continue to use it or not it still remains to be seen. But it's interesting to see that uh, a concept that both Jim and I thought would be really hard to replicate was replicated in just one weekend. So that just goes to show you how uh, creative and clever these guys are, even though the Sauber car is ugly. Um, and the other thing that happened is the FIA decided to lower the pit lane speed from 100 kilometers an hour to just 60 kilometers an hour for the qualifying and race of the Australian Grand Prix. Um, that's about 35 miles an hour, just a tick over 35 miles an hour. And they claim it's for safety because there's now 20, uh, 24 cars instead of 20 and because it's a tight uh, area at Albert Park. But uh, I'm a little suspicious that it's also to try to improve the show a little bit. And frankly, I think it's going to do the exact opposite because it's only going to lengthen the amount of time that a driver spends in the pit lane, which only gives them more incentives to do fewer pit stops as opposed to more. So uh, by all practical accounts, the smart thing to do would be make the speed limit in the pit lanes 200 kilometers an hour, which would increase the uh, effectiveness of a pit stop. But uh, something tells me they won't do that. Actually, we had uh, a little bit of a debate at my work about this. And one thought was that Formula One could take an example from NASCAR. And NASCAR doesn't have uh, speed limits of any kind that I'm aware of. But what they do is no one is allowed over the pit wall uh, in a NASCAR race until the cars come to a complete stop. So what you could do is do away with a pit limiter, but say the car has to come to a complete stop before anyone can uh, enter the uh, hot pit area and work on the car. I don't know. Just a thought. Anyway, fortunately, there's, uh, like I said, a lot less to talk about so we can move on. So I'm sure you guys are all wondering, what did I eat for dinner? Of course, it is our tradition to eat the local food of the racetrack for dinner but because Jim bailed on me, I had no one to have dinner with, and because uh, the best suggestion I had for dinner, uh, you know, we heard the usual Vegemite, which was great, but James Payne 
suggested that we try kangaroo steak. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't really look, but I didn't think I would find it. So to be honest, I had leftover spaghetti. So not exactly the most thrilling uh, local meal. But I promise that Jim and I will make up for that. We're going to do something very authentically Malaysian for uh, the next race. So uh, I let you guys down. Someone tell me that they had a really nice, authentic Australian meal, and I will feel better. Yes, no more fooling around. It is time to talk about the race. And, of course, we have to start with Friday practice. Uh, here in the States, we're only able to watch uh, the afternoon Friday practice, practice two. We get highlights of practice one. And it was very interesting to see. I, three things came of it that I think are worth talking about. The first one was Kamui Kobayashi seemed to have huge amounts of troubles with his front wing. Uh, twice on Friday, he had, I think it was even Friday morning, he had a front wing failure. The first time was his fault. He uh, ran into a corner pylon, knocked off corner of the front wing, and uh, had to come into the uh, pits. But the second time, the whole front wing just collapsed and failed on him and just set him shooting off into the track, had a nice wild ride. Didn't seem to phase him much, but... Uh, certainly was a notable experience. And that poor Sauber, it's so weird. That car really did look like it could be quite competitive during preseason testing. And it's just, it's languishing in the back. There's just no two ways around it. Uh, The second thing that came uh, about Friday practice was Virgin realizing that they didn't build a big enough fuel tank. Now, I'm not a team principal for a Formula One team or anything like that. And I'm not even claiming to be that intelligent. But you'd think you'd double-check the number of how big a fuel tank is supposed to be. That is a pretty big bad mistake. Now, the reports say that they're roughly 12 liters short of having um, enough fuel to go a full race distance. Now, that's not a small amount of space. That's three gallons, roughly, And it could mean that they have to redesign their entire car. So uh, the commentators at Speed pointed out that there's probably not much point in worrying about it, seeing how uh, they probably won't finish the race anyway. So uh, anyway, uh, big, big gaffe on Virgin's part. It'll be interesting to see how they recover from this and move forward um, as the season progresses. Uh, Now, finally, for the actual performance itself, it looked... Uh, pretty impressive because it was McLaren on top. Uh, Jensen Button in second place and Lewis Hamilton just an absolute rocket ship on Friday in first place. He was uh, almost three-tenths faster than Jensen was, and the two McLarens were on top. In third was the hometown hero, Mark Webber, in his Red Bull. Fourth place was Michael Schumacher, who finally uh, bested his teammate in terms of speed. And in fifth place was a nice surprise. Vitaly Petrov, the Russian in the Renault car, fifth fastest on Friday practice. Sixth place was Sebastian Buemi in the STR Ferrari. And then both Force India cars were in the top 10. Adrian Sutil, seventh. Vit Antonio Liuzzi, eighth. Rubens Barrichello was ninth fastest uh, at the end of the afternoon. And Nico Rosberg was the 10th fastest car in his Mercedes. So, of course, that leads us to qualifying, and it was fantastic. First and foremost, it rained in qualifying. In fact, right before 
um, Q1 started. It just started spitting rain and threw everyone for a loop. And it proved to be uh, rain on and off with dry parts for each session, Q1, Q2, Q3, but rainy parts for each session as well. It was really fantastic to watch uh, strategy, people getting times in early. Uh, for example, when we got to Q3, people all rushed out with 10 minutes to go to try to get a lap in in case it started raining. And uh, everyone actually was pretty well behaved. It was pretty remarkable. One notable exception was Lewis Hamilton. He timed things wrong in Q2. He got caught up in traffic at the wrong time. Then it started getting just a little bit wet. His tires fell off, and he was out in Q2. Lewis Hamilton did not progress to Q3. He ended up qualifying 11th. He was very upset. His teammate Jensen Button comfortably got into Q3 and uh, definitely set things off on the wrong foot for the young Brit. However, it was Sebastian Vettel once again collecting pole position with a fantastic 123.9 lap, the first driver to break into the 123s here. He was followed by his teammate, Mark Webber, um, making it a Red Bull 1-2 on the grid. They dominated the first row. Red Bull was actually, uh, excuse me, Mark Webber was actually quite upset that he didn't get pole in his home race, but the fact that he was on the front row was a, was a sterling effort indeed. Uh, Ferrari, uh, Ferrari was led with Fernando Alonso in third and Jensen Button in fourth place in the McLaren Mercedes, which definitely begs the question, where would Hamilton had come had he made it to Q3? Uh, fifth place went to Felipe Massa in the second Ferrari. Uh, sixth and seventh place was all Mercedes GP, Nico Rosberg, once again faster than Michael Schumacher. Eighth place went to Rubens Barrichello in the Williams Cosworth. And the ninth went to Robert Kubica, excuse me, in the Renault. And Adrian Sutil snuck in to get 10th spot for Force India, ahead of Lewis Hamilton, I might add. The key to winning this rain speckled Australian event proved to be strategy and smoothness. But pole sitter Sebastian Vettel didn't know that as he immediately started to pull a gap on the field after the lights went off at Melbourne. The only one within spitting distance of the young German was Ferrari's Felipe Massa, who managed an all but perfect start to jump to second from fifth. As the track started to dry, the top qualifying McLaren, piloted by Jensen Button, was first to make the call to ditch the Inters for slicks on lap seven. Jensen must have kicked himself for such a poor decision as he barely crawled out of the gravel traps on turn three of his outlap. But just a couple of laps later, the Brit got everyone's attention with the fastest race lap. In the meantime, seven other drivers had already succumbed to the melee and chaos of this wet and drying event and dropped out of the race. Most notably, Kamui Kobayashi, who lost his front wing under braking, taking himself and both Holkenberg and Buemi out on the first lap. Well, they say lightning doesn't strike twice, and that's true, but Red Bulls break down all the time. And so it was that Vettel's Renault-powered machine failed him for the second race in a row. This time, the left front brake broke on lap 26, shooting him into the gravel track, beached, and day done. This opened the door for Jensen Button, who had already progressed to second place, to take the lead and massage his tires for another 32 laps and a victory at the Australian Grand Prix. Way behind in second came the Renault of Robert Kubica, who finally got to make a solid Australian performance stick. He was followed by two Ferraris, 
Felipe Massa in third, Alonso in fourth. Nico Rosberg once again drove solid to finish fifth in the Mercedes car. He was followed by the walking temper tantrum, Lewis Hamilton in sixth. Hamilton had a race to forget and publicly blamed his team's strategy for his poor luck. Force India grabbed some points with Vit Antonio Liusi in seventh. He was followed by Rubens Barrichello in the Williams. And hometown hero Mark Webber could only manage two points, finishing ninth in his Red Bull. He was followed by reigning old man himself, Michael Schumacher, who collected a point and some Centrum Silver for finishing in 10th. So there you have it. Jensen Button. I mean, what a great job. I've always liked the guy. Uh, I was one of his biggest supporters last year. Uh, I, I thought he, I thought he earned the championship. Uh, I was like many frustrated with the way his, the second half of the season went, but I guess I felt a little bit more sympathy for him, uh, considering the pressure he was under and everything else. And the fact that the other cars had caught up. However, this race was purely strategic. He, he drove very well. He used his head. He, he just, he just planned it out really nice. And yes, he got lucky as well. The, uh, the slicks could have gone the other way. He could have beached it in the gravel just as easily and, and, and been looked to be a total dullard um, for making that decision. But he kept, his, uh, he kept the car underneath him. He was smart to learn the car slowly. He didn't try to jump into it. And then he just took excellent care of his tires. He was on that set of soft tires for 49 laps. And in the post-race interview, he said, it was never a question of whether I'm going to go in for a pit stop or not. I'm not. I, that just wasn't part of the plan. So uh, just really well done. Uh, managed the tires well. Uh, was always fast enough. He had a comfortable lead over Kubica. He had absolute handle the race. What a great victory. Brilliant victory. And uh, a very happy form. It seems to be that this was like a real confidence boost for him as well. He's uh, showing the team that he has value, that he has worth. I think he felt proud um, to, uh, you know, be quicker than Hamilton. And Hamilton really had, as a corollary, a minor meltdown this weekend. I mean, uh, Hamilton made a share of mistakes. He drove. Uh, he got he got his slick tires a couple laps after. Button did, and then just drove him to the ground, and then he got another set and uh, drove those to the ground. And uh, then he complained on the radio during the race to the public about what a terrible strategy it was to go in for his uh, second pit stop, which was just, frankly, childish. So uh, I don't know what Hamilton was thinking. I hope that he apologizes for it. I have read a report uh, saying... Uh, that uh, Martin Wishmar, what, excuse me, Martin Whitmarsh just said, well, Lewis Hamilton's a very passionate driver, and he was just being passionate. So that's uh, about as good as he can expect from a team that he just uh, dogged on, a team that really brought him up ever since he was a kid. So I, I was just amazed at that. Um, but going back to um, Jensen Button, I just feel like, this will be a great confidence boost for him. It'll be interesting to see how this plays forward. I think it's still pretty clear that Hamilton has Button for raw speed. But Button has shown that he has advantages over Hamilton now. And that 
maybe he might be the better one at managing an entire race. So if you're an optimist, you could say, wow, these two could really learn something from each other. And if you're a pessimist, you could say, wow, this could really melt down. Very interesting to see. Um, but I, I'm, I'm definitely a Jensen fan, and I was very happy to see him win. I do hope that Hamilton apologizes for what he said to the team and that he can move forward and, and do well in Malaysia. Now, speaking of doing well, uh, Red Bull has their work cut out for them. Vettel has done everything he can do for this team. In two races' time, he has taken this car and just blown everybody else away. The only person that even got close to him in qualifying today was his teammate. And it was teammate at his home race. And Vettel was still quickest. Vettel drove brilliantly in Bahrain, only to be only to have a spark plug screw him up, and he still salvaged fourth place fourth place. And then he drove brilliantly again today when he had a tire failure. So now that this is two races in a row, it's definitely not just a fluke. It could be two flukes. But if they have much more reliability issues like this, um, it, it's going to very seriously hurt their uh, championship prospects. And the car is fast enough and Vettel's fast enough to win a championship this year. So one of the big questions that's going to remain and we're going to have to keep an eye on is – did Christian Horner make a mistake by allowing Adrian Newey to continue to develop the car throughout the month of February as opposed to getting the car on track and starting to put some miles on it to get through some of these robustness issues? Um, you know, Ferrari has put tons of miles on their car. It's not as fast as the Red Bull, but it's obviously holding up. And the other question they have to ask themselves is how much patience is Vettel going to have you know, if this car just proves to be unreliable and someone else offers them a sweet deal, be it McLaren or Mercedes or Ferrari, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to stop Vettel from taking it. So I think that's a, a pretty big, uh, pretty big issue for Red Bull. Two races in a row. That's that gets pretty unacceptable pretty fast um, at this level. But uh, I think more than anything. All of us can breathe a big sigh of relief that this was not a repeat of Bahrain's boredom. Australia was fantastic from Friday morning onward. It was exciting to watch. Uh, the passing was great. The excitement was great. The rain mixed it up. It was really nice. Uh, it was just this is what we wanted to see in Formula One. We got to see teammates battling each other. We got to see teams battling each other. And we got to see Schumacher, the oldest guy in the sport. He's really, really old, by the way. Racing Aimeago Suari, the youngest guy in the sport. Just kind of a cool um, juxtaposition there. There's 21, year, 21 years of age difference there. Uh, definitely neat to see. So now the real question was, is, is Bahrain just a crappy track? Or uh, are the drivers getting a little bit more used to the new rules with no uh, refueling and they're starting to get a little bit more brave with how much they're going to use the tires and they were just far too conservative in Bahrain. Um, that's that's going to be what time tells. But I think uh, it was good to hear everyone saying, hey, let's just take a breath and do a couple more races before we do any kind of radical rule changes because um, it this problem might sort itself out. However, one thing that still 
gives me a little bit of pause is we if you look at the fastest lap of the race, which I believe was uh, right around 128.5, I don't have it right in front of me, um, versus the qualifying, the pole time, which was a 123.9, we're still way, way, way off uh, those two numbers. And I really hope that we can get to a place where we can start getting closer to the uh, qualifying times towards the end of the race. I know that's going to be hard. Uh, you know, right now, you all the teams have tons of incentives to do as few pit stops as possible, and uh, that that is going to limit how much that happens to a certain extent. Unless they can do something slick that actually speeds up the pit stops and makes them a more viable option to keep the rubber fresh, so that's going to be interesting to see. However, especially since it's just me talking, I think you've heard plenty of me talking. Let's move on. And that sound can only mean one thing. That's right. It is time for listener feedback, my favorite part of the show, because we get to hear a little bit about what you guys want to tell us. We get to talk about the Facebook page, which is awesome. We get to talk about Twitter, which is for kids. And we get to talk about emails. And we happen to have an email uh, from Colin McKinstry, who wrote... Hey, boys, your show was far more interesting way to spend an hour than watching the GP. Bloody boring race. Of course, he is referring to the Bahrain GP. The Shumi H stuff was hilarious. Again, you leave me looking like a mental person sitting in this computer room laughing my ass off. Our apologies for that. Honeymoon at the Canada GP. Awesome. I'm trying to arrange with a few boys to go to Silverstone if I can. Yeah, the honeymoon at the Canadian GP, I still do not know how Jim managed to pull that off. And Colin went on to uh, guess the trivia, and I'll let him know if he was right or wrong. Well, I will tell him. Actually, Colin, you were correct with the trivia, and I'll tell you guys what the trivia is in due time. And he did some predictions as well. Anyway, thank you so much, Colin, for the email. Uh, it seems like uh, our new revised version of the show is being very well received by you guys, which really means to a, lot of, a lot to us. We put a lot of work into it. Unfortunately, this show won't be as good because it's just me and uh, Jim and I together are, are, are definitely better than just one of us on our own. Uh, as uh, they say, uh, we are greater than the sum of the parts together. Anyway, uh, thank you, Colin, for that. We also had tons of great feedback on the Facebook page, as always. Um, I can't even begin to go through it all because there's so many of them, but, uh, thank you to Derek Carolla, James Payne, Dave Stevens, Will Carver, Jason Schaefer, um, let's see, uh, Marixel Ruiz. I don't even know if I said that right. Paul Peard as always. He's very active. Daniel Jewell, all you guys, you just, you just keep this Facebook page alive and I love it. And, uh, we, we certainly appreciate you guys for it. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out to James Payne because, I almost forgot to mention the uh, Virgin Fuel Tank issue, and then there it was on the Facebook page reminding me. So thank you very much for that. So again, thank you guys, as always, for all your feedback and for participating on the Facebook page and on Twitter and everything else. Um, uh, you guys you guys make this thing work and be alive, and we appreciate it. If you want to be a part of it, just simply go to f1show.com, and everything's right there in front of you. Uh, you can uh, email us, you can check out Facebook and uh, Twitter, all right from the homepage of the F1show.com. Pretty slick stuff. 
Trivia. 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 Right. Trivia. Now, last week or last race, I gave you guys what I thought was kind of a softball, kind of a warm-up question to get into the spirit of trivia. And the question was, Fernando Alonso's race win today, which was the Bahrain Grand Prix, ended a long absence from the top step. When was the last time Alonso won, and how many races was his winless streak until Bahrain? Well, the answer was, drum roll, the 2008 Japanese Grand Prix, which ended a 19-race drought for the Spaniard. So, yep, pretty straightforward, pretty recent. Uh, a lot of people got it. We got a lot of predictions that were correct. Uh, Colin McKinstry, for example, did correctly predict that. That's the advantage of sending an email. You're going to get uh, a shout-out. But no more warm-ups. No more softballs. It is time to dig into it. And I've actually got one that isn't even just a question. It's actually a question with math. So first, uh, to give you just a little background here, uh, March 21st of this year would have been Ayrton Senna's 50th birthday. So in honor of that, we wanted to dedicate a question to him. And the question is, how many races would Ayrton Senna have won if his career lasted as long as Michael Schumacher's through 2006? We're not including the two races he's raced now. And he maintained the same win rate he did when he did race. So again, it's Ayrton Senna. How many races would he have won if he was able to continue to win at the same rate that he won at and he raced as many times as Schumacher did? So that's your question for next time. I think it's going to prove to be uh, a, a true, true uh, brain cruncher. And I'm excited for you guys to try to figure it out. But let's move on. Ah, yes, it is time for predictions. And, of course, Australia proved to be a brilliant race with a lot of twists and turns and a lot of things that uh, would be very hard to predict. But us brave souls at the F1 show predicted anyway and uh, came out not too bad, in fact. Jim, uh, despite, you know, seeming to be a perfectly normal, intelligent human being, uh, actually picked Massa to be on pole and to win the race. And he was wrong on both accounts. Massa was fifth in qualifying and managed only third in the race. However, myself, I picked Sebastian Vettel to be on pole and for Fernando Alonso to win the race. And guess what? Sebastian Vettel was on pole. Thank you very much. Now, Alonso actually did finish slightly below Massa by one position, in fact. However, according to our new points scoring system, I got three points for this race and Jim got six, which means I win. And according to Jim's rules from Bahrain, he now owes me three Cokes. Um, we also, uh, uh, as we talked about doing before, we are now uh, including uh, fans prediction in this as well. And this time we selected from the Facebook page, Willem... Cranendonk, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. If I didn't, I apologize. But he picked Michael Schumacher both to, on pole position and to win the race. Sadly, that wasn't even close. Uh, Schumacher qualified seventh and finished only tenth. 
Uh, Willem, you got 15 points. Not looking too good for the fans. And uh, you guys are going to have to claw that one back. However, thank you very much for playing. Uh, Now, if you're curious and if you listened to our last show, you understand that we now have a statistical model. Well, just by sheer coincidence, the model and myself happened to predict the exact same thing, uh, which was Sebastian Vettel on pole and Alonso to win the race. So the model actually did quite good this time, uh, three points total. Um, So uh, very good. However, the model is starting with a setback because for the first race, the model selected uh, Jensen Button to be both on pole and to win the race. So uh, total... Jim and I are still beating the model, but this is where the model is going to start to shine and and really uh, give us a run for our money. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that progresses. Now, moving forward, it's time to predict the next race, and alas, Jim is not here. Now, I could be petty and just throw him under the bus since he's not here to predict and just predict awful things for him, predict new teams new drivers with no experience and bad cars. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So Jim for uh, the Malaysian Grand Prix is going to pick Yarno truly on pole position. And I don't know why he thinks this, but he actually says that Bruno Senna is going to win the race. I, on the other hand, have taken a different approach to this. I think Sebastian Vettel is... Not only is he wicked fast and the Red Bull is fantastically quick, he's just getting angrier and angrier as the races go on. So I think Sebastian uh, Vettel is once again going to take pole position by a country mile this time. And being the optimist that I am, I'm hoping against hope that the car actually holds together. I think Sebastian Vettel is also going to win the race. Now, this is where things get interesting. Our model, since Vettel got this got the pole this last time. And since Jensen Button won the race, the model says that Sebastian Vettel is going to get on pole next time and that Jensen Button's going to win the race next time. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jim's predictions and my predictions stack up against the model as we go forward. But yeah, that's it guys. Thank you for struggling through this with me. Once again, uh, it's always hard to get through these shows uh, solo Uh, Jim and I work really well together, and I think we put together a much better show when it's the two of us. But for you guys, I really wanted to get something out there um, so you guys could have something to listen to. Uh, And uh, we will be back in full force next week's time. So until then, I'm Robin Warner, and I'm the only one here. So see ya.